Back to the Culture Call on Praise 93.3 with L. Spencer Smith. Our desire is to reach and empower the community by discussing a cross-section of relevant topics from various perspectives that are essential to its growth and interpersonal connections. Be sure to save our call-in number 205-752-4800. Be sure to install the free Praise 93.3 app so you can send L. Spencer Smith a message or topic idea. Search for WTSK in your app store. This is a world premiere. Great morning, great morning, great morning, everybody. Precious people, you know what time it is. It's time for your favorite talk show, The Culture Call, with yours truly, L. Spencer Smith, right here on Praise 93.3 FM. That's right, it's the place where Tuscaloosa meets the world. And guess what? For the next two hours, from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m., we're going to be talking a little bit about everything. That's right, from society to sports, education, economics, and definitely from religion to relationships, we are here. We are definitely here to create a safe space to have empowering conversations, provocative conversations, and yes, sometimes controversial conversations. And guess what? You can call in and chat it up with us as we learn together right here on The Culture Call. want to welcome those of you, if this is your first time listening and being a part of the show, want to welcome you to The Culture Call family. Listen, we have a time every day. That's right. Monday through Friday, we have an amazing time every day doing wonderful things for our community, talking up, having conversation, dialogue, and yeah, so that we will not be late last to law. So no matter if you're traveling through the city and just picked up the uh, frequency, whether you're on the app or you're on the internet, does not matter. We want to welcome you here. And as always, to those who every day make it happen, that's right, that make it happen, that makes us the number one talk show. That's right. The number one talk show for all of you, I want to say from a heartfelt appreciation, thank you. That's right. You help us make it happen. Absolutely. Always want to send a shout out to Brother Jay. I'm telling you, he is the man with the plan who blazes right before me from 5 a.m. all the way up to the 10 hour. And he hands me this hot, fiery baton and tell me, run on to see what the end going to be. So, yes, that's exactly what I'm going to do. I'm telling you, he's paying the best and the greatest in gospel music and making it happen. Do what it do right here at Praise 93.3. Hey, do me a favor. If you've not done so already, go ahead and take out your smart device, whether it's your iPhone, your Android, or whatever, your iPad, whatever device it is, and do me a favor. Go to the App Store. Every phone has one. (laughs) Go to the App Store and download, download the Praise 93.3 free 99 app. It does not cost you a thing. Download that and you can listen to us from all around the world, definitely in the country. Yeah, so we can stay in touch and we can, you know, you can hear my perspectives and you can give yours as well uh, on that app. That's right. You can use the chat feature and talk to me and let me know what you're thinking. Let me know how I'm doing. Let me know if I'm on point or if I'm off. That's right. All of that. Yeah. So no matter where you're listening from, you might be in Chicago, Illinois this morning, Dallas, Texas, Memphis, Tennessee, and right here in the beautiful city of Tuscaloosa, Alabama, Montgomery, Mobile, Birmingham. Yeah. Huntsville. You may be in Bology, Utah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Sawyerville. No matter. Reform, Gordo. Listen. And every place in between. 
you can hear us right here on The Culture Call. Do me a favor and go ahead and get those public service announcements in. Y'all been sending them in. That's right. Yeah, to uh, culturecall.praise at gmail.com. That's culturecall.praise at gmail.com. And give me an opportunity uh, to be your marketing specialist. That's right. I want to let everybody know exactly what's going on in your neck of the woods, what's happening at your church, your organization, your fraternity, definitely your sorority, uh-huh, whether you are an artist getting ready to have a concert or a preacher getting ready to have a revival. That's right. I want to let everybody know what is happening in your neck of the woods. That's right. So we can put faces in the place because you know how good you feel when you start something and you see people coming in. And, yeah, y'all know how that works, right? Because guess what? We do it better when we do it together. Yeah. And so go ahead and you can do, uh, you can write down this number, 205-752-4800. That's the golden number. You can give me a call and let me know what you think about the show. Let me know what's on your heart and your mind, what we need to talk about. Even if you want to fuss at me, it doesn't matter. But know this, I fuss back. (laughs) I have to tell people that, yeah, I fuss back sometimes. No, 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 seriously. Give me a call, 205-752-4800. 4800 and want to remind you, you can definitely get that app and hit me up on the chat. Chat, I listen to it and I read the, the comments uh, uh, during our breaks and I come back and bring it up. Yeah, absolutely. I keep this trusty phone right next to me all the time. Uh, Bishop, we've missed some of your shows, but guess what? You can go to Apple Podcasts and search Culture Call. Leave the article out, the, leave that out and just say Culture Call. There you're going to see my face and all of the past shows. If you missed it, yeah then you can catch me on the podcast. Definitely, definitely want you to do that. Also, do me a favor, a great big old favor. That's right. Go ahead and follow uh, The Culture Call on Facebook. That's right. Culture Call on Facebook. You can follow me there. And all you got to do is push like, and you can see all of our notes. You can uh, get tuned into what we're doing from week to week. And uh, yeah, you can send me your suggestions. You can definitely message me your uh, your flyers or whatever, and we will definitely take care and handle that. So do me a favor, sit back and relax. Grab you some coffee. You know how we do it on the Culture Call, whether it's Maxwell House or Starbucks. Uh-huh, get you some herbal tea. Yeah. Uh, if you're trying to calm down, some chamomile. If you're trying to spur up, get you some green tea. That's right. Get you a little caffeine kick. And definitely you can get uh, some alkaline water. That's the water normally with the black label. My favorite alkaline water is Essentia. I love it. It has a great taste. It doesn't have an aftertaste, and it helps you detox those cells, get that body ready, get out that, you know, that maybe you did some bad we- uh, eating over the weekend, and it helped you flush out your system. That's right. And get those cells alert so that we can have an amazing day. And let's get into the culture. Yeah. First of all, let me say happy Black History Month. <laughs> Thanks to Carter G. Woodson, uh, who started Black History Week, and now it has turned into Black History History Month, I'm telling you, and this entire month, we're going to be talking about uh, black history uh, from the perspective of past, present, and future. We're going to be giving some of our thoughts on, you know, really what's going on in this country because I agree with uh, with uh, Morgan Freeman. Morgan Freeman said uh, that black history is American history. Black history is not some outlier or some, you know, just the history of our people. But when you look at how black people have been significant and essential uh, to the creation and the transformation on every level of this country, American history, black history is definitely American history. And we want to pay homage this month and make sure that we do due diligence 
um, to give you some insights and how we are, n- number one, from the past, shape the past, how we are presently shaping the, uh, uh, the today's time and how we need to mobilize and educate ourselves and be informed so that we can help transform the future. I simply believe that black folks, we do not need to be late, last, and lost in what's going on in this country, especially right now, especially right now. And so as we engage this morning, that's what we're going to be talking about, a a wide myriad of things, um, because there's so much to talk about. I don't want to uh, talk about things uh, that's not going to be interesting, but I'm going to try to weave in timelines, both past, present, and future, uh, so that we will know that there would be no United States of America without black people, period, without us. So then, you know, that is not up for discussion at all. Yeah. And so let me begin by just talking about how much I appreciate uh, God creating me to be a black man. I want to start off there because I think that we need to begin to have that this kind of James Brown resonance that comes out of our community again, that say it loud, I'm back, black and I'm proud. And we know that that was something that was lifted in the 70s when in the black power movement uh, that was going on. But I think that even now, and even how we teach our children, I am grateful uh, with all of the pains and the pangs uh, that, that, that have come with being a black man and being a part of this, this amazing group of people. I am grateful that God placed the signature of the sun. Uh, one of my professors would say it. I'm glad that God signed my life with the signature of the sun, that this melanation that he has given us um, has given, has endowed us with certain properties and certain principles and certain uh, uh, communal context that are different than anybody in the world. And, you know, some people... But like, well, what do you if you had to do it all over again, would you be a black man? I think unequivocally for me. Yes. Yes. I understand the status of the privilege. I understand the status from a historical present and perhaps even a future context of those who brought us to this country as enslaved people, our forefathers. But when you look at what all have, we have created, what all we have achieved uh, in this country for this country. I think that one of the things that I, uh, you know, that I've defined my life by is I look through the lens and the perspective of being a black man. And it is that valued perspective, I think, that is something that is not demeaning. Yes, there is there are things that we need to work on as a people. And that's been from the beginning of history. But I believe that we can only change and we can only transform culture and society. We can only stand truthfully and authentically for justice and equity if we understand, first of all, we have to appreciate the Imago Dei, the image of God, and the, the, the bodies, the physicality, the humanity, the human essence of how God has presented us. And that is as black men and women. And so, you know, I do echo the sentiments of James Brown. Yeah. You know, I don't have on bell bottoms and I don't have an afro. (laughs) No, but I do have the fervor of mind and heart to say, say it loud. I'm black and I'm proud. And if that offends anybody, then maybe we can help you this month. Maybe we can give you some kind of contextualization of what it means 
to be black and in, a, in America and proud. I am, I am proud because we are, number one, a resilient people, that we are people that just don't know how to give up in the face of oppression, in the face of suppression, enslavement. Uh, from the moment that we uh, got on this, this, uh, this, this land, and, you know, whether that's 14, uh, 1492, whether that's 1619, you know, what, you know many people chronicle it differently. You know, uh, some people believe that we were already here and we were part of the Native American essence that before slavery, that we were already here from the African continent. Nonetheless, I, what is what is definitely sure is that we are a people that are resilient, that we are persistent, that we are have such a strength and a, a, a vigor and a fervor uh, that that has caused us in spite of all of the debilitations, the, the uh, intended debilitations of our people in this country, that we have seen ourselves arise. We have seen ourselves cultivate a kind of essence that we have passed on from generation to generation. And I think that that's, that's kind of the essence of who we are. And even not only the essence, but it's also the, the, the way that we experience this country, life in this country. You know, James Baldwin says, you know, the, the famed African-American writer says to, to be a black person in America is to always live in a state of rage, a, a state of anger. And that anger is not just to be angry for emotion and or feeling's sake. It is anger that is born out of, of, a, of a righteous indignation. When you look at the world and you see inequity, when you see suppression, when you when you look at inferiority on its face, I mean, and, and you and you look at it, and that person and those people have been given privilege and access and position, wealth, you know, and 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 all of the other you know uh, uh, ancillary things, all of the other you know appendages that go with majority culture and privilege in this country. When you see inferiority in, 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 in leadership. When you see those who are not thinkers being in charge of making policy and creating edicts and bills and et cetera, right? You know, when they are the ones that quote unquote establish institutions, right? And, and I think that what, what is, what is interesting there is you have to look at that. We've had to look at that for years and still say, and still say, I'm going to do my best and still create a mantra of saying, yeah, but you still got to be better than the mediocrity that they expose. You still have the, the, a life that cannot be average, right, in this country to be, to even gain equal footing or somewhat quasi equal footing, right? To have an ancestry that, that says, that we're going to be the best that we can be and what we have cre and, and what we will do is that we will help them create, even help them create forces and systems that kept us out, that did not give access. That yes, we will, we will, you know, we will uh, be a part of it and not seek to go back as some have suggested that, that we do, both black and white, that there is something about us, a persistence, a prevailing, if you will, that there is a, a be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding that is resident in black people 
that is quite frankly, historically resounding. That is not to say that there are not other people who have not lived through, uh, 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 have not persevered and lived through amazing events and hard events and trials and all of that. But the truth of the matter is, is that I believe that there is no other context of people that have lived through that continue to live through that without any kind of remuneration to us, without giving us anything in return, right? Uh, to the level of which we have, you know, worked and built and, and labored to say that we are still standing, to say that we are still brilliant and that we still blaze trails, to say that, to say that we've we built neighborhoods, we built schools, we built churches, we built institutions, right? That help our people advance, help our people achieve, help our people excel. To say that we are still part of a society and we are still not afraid to say we want our proper peace. See, the truth of the matter is, is that we've never said that we want to take all. But what we what we are saying is that we do want ours. We do want ours. We do want fair share. We do want to make sure that who we are and what we have as black and black people, that it is equitably distributed. And and someone hit me up on Facebook the other day, say, Well, I, I don't I don't I don't think equal outcome. I said, Well then you don't understand the meaning of the word equity, because they were challenging me on the word equity. Equity does not mean equal outcome. The Bible, because they talk about the Bible doesn't support equity. I said, wait a minute, hold on. Number one, you're not reading your Bible right, and you need to go ahead and pick up a dictionary. No, the Bible does not support equal outcomes. All of us will not get equal outcomes. That's not what the scriptures purport, and that's not what the word equity means. Equity means fairness. It means equal access to the opportunity to have an outcome. It is having the, your own agency to even be able to create and, and to participate in something whereby we can even just get an outcome, right? So it's equal access to being able to produce outcomes. That's what equity means. It means fairness. It means that we have the same book. Doesn't mean we're going to get the same grade. It means that we have, we have the same level of, 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 of housing. We have the same level of equal access to jobs and, and opportunities, Right. Does not say that because I have equal opportunity that I'm going to I'm going to you know, we should we should be guaranteed equal outcomes. That's what the problem is. Why the Supreme Court with the conservative judges and some of the majority community, the white community believes does not believe in, in, in affirmative action. Right. Because they think that it, it, in, uh, it purports equal outcomes that I'm going to take from them and make mine equal with theirs. But no, that's not what that even is about. Right. But it does mean take down your institutionalized racist systemic systems. Right. And give access to all people to give access to all people so that they can have an opportunity. Right. That they can have an opportunity to be able to create an outcome for themselves. Now, I don't want to take your achievement. No, I don't want to do that. And neither do I know. I don't want you not to go to Harvard and Yale and Princeton. I, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that there have been systemic systems of race, racism and bigotry that have been created that keeps the keeps me out. And the question is, why are you so insecure that I can't have equity? You won't give equity. You won't give equal access. 
help me, let me create a, uh, an opportunity. And if I'm inferior to you, when I get to Harvard, I'll flunk out where you will excel. But you don't want to even know that because you won't even give me access. Right? So that's what I mean about justice and equity. That we are the purveyors of justice and equity. That we have fought for this country. We have fought in their wars historically from the, from the American Revolution all the way up to their recent wars in the Middle East. Right? And you know, in, in, the, in the time of the civil rights, they, the brothers would come back home and would be lynched in their uniforms for serving for a country and helping them defeat an enemy, right? This country does indeed have a debt to pay to black people. And that debt to pay is not just the reparation really needs to begin with bestowing a level of esteem and dignity, right? I'm not concerned so much about your apology. I'm really not because... The apology does not give us equity, right? But in spite of all of that, in spite of what the fight still continues, right? In, in, in spite of all of the, the warfare that we still have to go through with all of the, they, I don't know what the, if it's a room that they come up with these schemes and systems of voter suppression and prison, uh, school to prison pipeline, or, you know, uh, Rich, Richard Nixon's war on drugs, all of the, I don't know how, you, you have to be a very evil and very uh, evil and maniacal mind to come up with some of these things that you put out against, specifically against black people. But what I want to say is that you ought to be res resplendently proud of who we are because we always rise above it. No matter what they attempt to do, we always rise above it. Even in the modern effort to to go back to segregation, that, that, that there's, there's a D... Uh, a deintegration, a reverse integration that's going on back to segregation because there are people that every time there is a black presence there, and now even now a minority person, black and minority presence, presence in, in whatever situation, they get very insecure. And the issue you have to ask is what about my, my presence, my being makes you so insecure? Right. And that's not a question that we can answer. I, I, I can't answer that. I, I cannot. I can read the history books. That's why in Florida, that's why even somewhat in Alabama, that's why in South Carolina and a lot of other southern states, they're trying to change the history books because they want to wipe out their depravity. Right. I don't think it's so much changing and wiping, taking Martin Luther King and Rosa Parks and Frederick Douglass and you know, Booker T. Washington and W.E.B. Du Bois. I don't think it's so much taking those out of the schools. I don't think that's what it is. I don't think if, if they could keep enslavement and slavery and all of the civil rights things that happened, if they could keep that in the book and, and, and still be seen in a positive light, they would not take it out. So the issue is not to take out black history. I think the issue is to change theirs because they don't like how they look in history. Because history, if you don't know it, will repeat itself. They don't want us to have a reference point to what they are currently trying to do now. So what I'll do is I will, uh, I will take out diversity, equity, and inclusion. I will take out all of these things significant specifically to African-American people. Right. I'm going to take it all out and I'm going to act as if it never happened, that this whole thing happened just with white folks being brilliant. This whole country was built 
on the backs of, of, of white people coming up with ingenuity and innovation. And we just invited y'all and civilized y'all uh, to, to, you know, to this country. I had, I saw on uh, social media, you know, this apostle, this black woman in Jacksonville, Florida. And she says, I thank God for slavery because if it wasn't for, the black woman said this. Black woman, let me say it again, a black woman said this, that she thanks God for slavery because she could have been Afri in Africa worshiping a tree. How disconnected can you be from historical accuracy? How disconnected? But see, that's the way, we're going to talk about this this month, that, that, that dualistic you know, dichotomy that they have to live in because they love proximity to majority. Even if that means acting like they are not a minority. Even if that means acting like they, they, they you know, that all, all we were doing, sir, ma'am, you don't even understand. I don't know how, who made you an apostle, but I would not have. Number one, because the early Christian faith, the early church fathers were African people. Right. The early church fathers, Origen and all these people that you start off, Socrates and Plato and Aristotle, they borrowed from Egyptian psychology, Egyptian philosophy. They borrowed that from, they took it. And they did, you know, it's like plagiarism. Historical, this is proven fact. This ain't stuff that we just make it up because we're on the radio. I'm not one of these podcasters out here with no kind of research and no kind of academic or educational background that just spouting off stuff. No, literally. Literally. If you read their writings in antiquity, they will tell you that they got it from Egypt, Alexandria, Egypt. They will tell you that they got this from African people. So we were highly civilized. Highly civilized. Remember, we were brought over here to do the work that they did not want to do. So the buildings that you see, Benjamin Banneker was the first one that surveyed Washington, D.C. That Washington, D.C. looks like and is set up like, uh, like it is because of a black man, Benjamin Banneker. Get it together. Absolutely. There would be, there would be oh, I mean, when you, think, when you look at our history, when you look at all of the things, and those things we didn't get from Europe, we were already building. We were already building pyramids in, in, in Africa. We were already building universities, the oldest university that is still uh, in existence today. Today. It's still in existence today. That it's in Africa. We built the oldest university. Yeah. So we didn't come over here to be civilized. We came over here to be free labor, tell the truth. And to hear a black woman say that says how much, you know, his, th this is one of the things I tell Black preachers all the time. This is not a season to be ignorant when you stand up behind the pulpit. Because there is so much divine power that God has endowed us with, right? And I'm going to talk about the black church as it relates to black history, you know, in terms of our central significant part of that. That this is not the time to be an ignorant black preacher spouting off stuff like that. Or ignoring what's happening in current events. That this whole, this whole engagement the whole freedom from slavery, enslavement in this country was a part of the origins of the black church. Richard Allen and, and uh, Mother Bethel from the AME, uh, the AME church. You see, all of that, you have to understand that if you don't, and if you don't understand that, 
Lord, help us a while. <laughs> For real. Yeah. You, 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 so we have, to, we have to learn and understand exactly what, you know, exactly what was happening. James Verrick with the, uh, 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 the AME Zion Church. Yeah, you have to know what your history is. Don't just get up repeating, repeating stuff that you don't know about. Don't get up just, oh, this because of that, because you're trying to appeal to people. No, know your history. Be proud of who you are. Let me say that again. Know your history and be proud of who you are. Make sure. Make sure you understand that our lives are rooted in the brush harbors and in the backwoods and in the silent faith of people who, who believe God under unprecedented, uh, unprecedentedly oppressive circumstances and have caused us to become who we are today. Don't be ashamed of that. Don't be ashamed of that. Don't be ashamed of that. We have to stand up and say, hey, it is Black History Month, but Black history is American history because this country exists. Let me say this again. This country exists because of our foreparents' efforts to say, I am in a place, I am in a place that does not, did not love me when it brought me over, haven't, don't know how it feels about me today, but we made it anyway. Absolutely. But we made it anyway. Yeah, isn't that good? We made it anyway. Listen, this is the Culture Call with yours truly, Elspeth Smith, right here on Praise 93.3, your inspiration station. I need you to keep it here this morning. We're going to talk a little bit about black history, past, present, and future, and make you proud to be black. That's right. If you have an issue with that, you might need to turn the station, but I know you won't. Stay right here. Don't miss it. Right here on the Culture Call with yours truly, L. Spencer Smith. Praise 93.3, your inspiration station. And guess what, y'all? It's Black History Month. That's right. And we're going to be talking a whole lot about black history and American history. Not just from a historical perspective, but we'll talk about it from past, present, and future. Absolutely. So that you'll know, yeah, the full parameter of what we have meant to this country. And I think we have meant a whole lot. Don't you? Absolutely. And, you know, one of the things that I thought was very interesting is a quote um, in really thinking about this show, a, a quote from Winston Churchill. And here's what he said. He was a, a British prime minister, uh, the lion of Israel. I mean, uh, the lion of Great Britain, you know, was a very uh, powerful man at the time. But he said something that was very interesting that I thought. And here's what he said. He said, history will be kind to me because I will write it. Let me try it again. <laughs> okay. He said, history, Winston Churchill, history will be kind to me because I will write it. Yeah. In other words, doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't matter what I, you know, if I am wrong, it, n none of that matters. What does matter, however, is that I have the pen to write history. And to him, he said, history is going to be kind to me because I'm going to be the one <laughs> that writes history. 
And see, most of the history that has been written in this country has been by the majority culture. And whoever is writing the history, that's who the history is going to be kind to. Get that. Wrap that. Wrap your head around that. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. He said, because I'm going to be the one that writes history. I'm never going to write history from an authentically truthful, honest place. I'm going to write the history to make sure that I look good in the books. Right? And so as it relates to Black History Month and when you're reading and what our children are learning, it is it's important to understand that there are portions in their history of this country that does not, as uh, uh, Prime Minister Churchill said, that does not look kind to them. And wherever history does not look kind. Now, it doesn't matter uh, how they paint the enemies. Doesn't matter about that. In in the history, when I tell it, it's going to look kind. It is going to look kind to me. It is going to be the kind of, you know, I'm going to be the hero. You know, I'm going to be the, 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 the white savior of the world. It's always going to look good because I'm going to write it. So in order to do that, you know, in order for the hunter to look like the champion, the lion can never write the history. Let me try this again. That if, if, if in a hunting expedition, in order for the hero to look like the, 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 I mean, the hunter to look like the hero, then he has to write the history. But if you ever put the pen in the deer's hand, you put the pen in the lion's or the rabbit's hands and let them tell the scenario, you will find out that history looks a lot different. Right? And so Black History Month is, is our pen writing the history. And a lot of times, if we're going to be truthful and authentic to what we're saying, us writing our perspective and our portion of history from a very transparent, honest, authentic place does not put the majority culture in a, in a shining light. Period. Past, present, and they're working on future right now. Right? The history, and see, here's the deal. The issue is, History is to lie about it. Lies, lying about, uh, when you lie consistently, that then when history writes it, history will pick up that lie if there are not any honest scribes. If there are not any truthful scribes, it will write it. And if we're not careful, this, this history that's being written now, they're trying to create it as the former president being a hero, being Messiah-like, being a demigod. Because as Winston Churchill said, yeah, history is going to be kind to me because I'm no, I intend to write it. And this month, at least this month, you know, we can argue about the shortest month of the year. We can do all that. No, it don't take that long to tell the truth about history, that there would not be an America, that there would not be a viable country without Black people being the soul and the conscience of this country. That that everything, the, tale of tr the, tear, uh, the trail of tears will be fine. All of that kind of stuff. Enslavement would be fine if we were not, if we did not come to this country 
with a certain kind of soul consciousness, I believe, distributed and given by God to make sure that there will be fair balance and fair accounting in history, right? See, there can never be a, a history of a people where there's just plain lies written. See, if you, if you wrote my history, your history, our history as individuals, if we would tell the truth, we were, we were not the hero in every story. Come on, culture call. You know that's the truth. You are not the good guy in every story in your history. Yeah, you know chapter number nine, chapter number 13, you were, you were just, you, you were not, you, listen, you were something else. You were Hades on two feet, <laughs> you know? Yeah, everything about your history was not good, right? And if it's going to be authentic history that's ever going to help your children, the future, then you got to tell it like it was. Tell it honestly. Because there's got to be a period and a peak where we see transformation. There's got to be a period where we begin to recognize you become elucidated to the, your higher self, your better self. Right. So then what does that mean? That means then, yeah, I was this. But then the, this is why I love how uh, they, the, uh, Luke writes about uh, Paul starting off as Saul of Tarsus. Right. And the, the truth of the matter is, 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 is Saul's name never really changed his name. He was used Paul in one place and Saul in another place. Right. Because he was, yeah, that part. But that's another story. But Luke writes that and says, yeah, Paul, he was on his way. You know, even in Acts, Paul was the one, 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 was one of the ones that hold the coats of them that stoned Stephen. Wrote it just like it was. Paul was getting ready to go to Damascus to take letters to murder the, the, the Christians at Damascus. But he met the Lord. See, that was a turn and a pivot in the story. Right? And see, what happens when you look at American history, there's never, you never really read a, a transformational conscientious pivot. You never, you never read a moral pivot. They try to make it up, but you never read a moral pivot in the founding fathers' lives. No. And so the issue is, is that you have to, you know, everybody thought Abraham Lincoln was against slavery. No, he was for preserving the union. He was, he was for preserving the union. Give, he was trying to figure out how to be fair. That's what, that's what got him assassinated, you know, because he was trying to give, you know, equal, you know, not equal, but he was trying to free the slaves on one hand and yet preserve the union and then, and then pay the enslavers and the enslaved, but the money never got to the enslaved. It only got to the enslaver, right? Right? And so, and so but, but history very rarely tells the, the truth from the perspective of the person that you hunted down. I think this is what is interesting, even in American society now, that why are you trying to take our history? Well, because it's Black History Month. And if you know no black history, and you got to know more black history than Martin Luther King and Rosa Parks, you got to know more than just Malcolm X. You know, you might be Marcus Garvish. You, you got to know more than just the people, the, the people that this, this country picks out that they want you to know. You got to know more than that. You have to understand that we have a, a brilliant aspect, uh, a brilliant cadre, if I can say that, 
of people from the time we came to this country all the way to now that have created and formatted history in a very unique way in this country. And that we cannot pull back from and that we should not pull back from. Right? Who's writing the history now? Right? That's the interesting thing. When you hear about Harriet Tubman, think about it. When you hear about her and all the things that happened to her, which her real name is not Harriet Tubman, you know, that was, her name was changed. Did, did you know that? Yeah, her name, her name was changed. And, and what, 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 when you talk about those things and you're not, and, and you're not thinking about, well, uh, 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 what, what, I'm not, I, I don't want to make myself look bad. I don't want to make this one look bad. I don't want to make this one look bad. Why not? It's history. It's not necessarily making them look bad. It's just what happened. Yeah. And so when we look at black history, you have to understand that our identity has been etched, has been rooted in a soul of, yes, pain and oppression. Yeah, it has been rooted and grounded in that area. I know you may not want to admit that, but it is. It has, yeah. And that that's what, it, it's, it's rooted in this thing called founding trauma. That's right, founding trauma. There's a, there's a, uh, 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 a historian named Dominique LaCapra that talked about this thing called founding trauma, that from the time that we came to this country, it's been a traumatic experience. Right? And I know people are, 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 are out there changing. Oh, you ought to change. You, don't, you ought not say that. Why not? Let's tell the truth about it. It's been a series of founding traumas. It's been a series of we had to make it through. Think about the Negro spirituals that we sing, that our forefathers sing, that we kind of almost forgotten about now. Their desires to have freedom. You know? And before I be a slave, I'll be buried in my grave and go home to my Lord and be free. You know why they wrote that song? Because they had recollection that on the transatlantic slave trade, that instead of, instead of a lot of our forefathers, instead of them being slaves in this new place where they were going, they jumped overboard. They jumped. Yep, they sure did. They jumped overboard and said, nope, I will not. I don't want to be that. But that founding trauma, uh, uh, Capra says, has, has, has been significant in the formation of our collective identity. That, in other words, you cannot be black in a country, in this country, and not recognize collectively the historical pain and disenfranchisement. You can't, you know, it's almost like Nikki Haley getting up and saying, but this has never, uh, this has never been a racist country. Are you serious? That you're trying to change the history over, over what the Civil War was fought about when the folks, folks that wrote the documents, the letters of succession for the Civil War told you exactly what it was about. Absolutely. When you're trying to make it seem like that racism came here, racial divisions came here, started with the presidency of Barack Obama? Really? I thought that was post-racial. How did he bring, what did he do so, you know, James Brownish, black and I'm proud? What did he, 
what what fist did he hold up in the air that made you know cause there to be such a a, a division in this country? Nothing. It's revisionist history. And what here's the deal. Here's the deal. That what Le Capra says is that this collective identity has to ma maintain intact where we understand and tell the truth about where we came from. That we don't have the 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 you know the emotional soul spiritual solvency. We don't possess that whole thing to disconnect and say, well, that was them. And now I'm, this is us. I was never, we know you wasn't a slave, but a physical slave, but now you are a slave. You're still cap captive in your mind. No, there is a founding trauma, right? That, that, you know, and here's the deal that this entire country right now is going through some level of founding trauma because it has to look at itself more than ever in the mirror Every time it sees a black person succeed and make it, it has to look itself in the mirror. Every time. Right? When you look at black and brown people, make it. Make it to the Supreme Court. Make it to the Senate. Make it to this. You, every time you see Barack Obama, you have to see, you, it, it causes them to revisit founding trauma because, mm, drum roll please, this country was not supposed to end up this way in their minds. So not only is it founding trauma for us in terms of knowing that we were connected to people that were enslaved and disenfranchised and, and taken away, stripped from their worth and their being and their value, that's founding trauma for us. But every time they see and every, every time we say uh, his, from a historical perspective, a present perspective, and even a future perspective, every time we achieve its founding trauma for them. Because in their minds, these people were never supposed to arise to this level. These people were never supposed to have this. These people were never supposed to go X, Y, Z this far. These people were never supposed to be PhDs and lawyers and doctors and, you know, educators, teachers. They were never supposed to. This was supposed to end. This, you know, this was never supposed to be. So every time I look at success, so when they when they promote somebody of a black iteration, you know, it, ha it has to be about crime and drugs, especially on Fox News. It has to be about them doing something that is criminal in society, because since you won't be a slave, I will paint you as a criminal. The birth of a nation, the birth of a nation that was shown by President Woodrow Wilson at the White House. He was the first one to show that he, you know, elevated the, the Ku Klux Klan and all of that because the enslaved cannot be viewed as truly human people. Well, times have changed, not so much. Say so when you get a policeman that looks at a 12-year-old little boy, who we know is a 12-year-old little boy, going to his neighborhood or see him walking and talking about my life was in danger. From a 12-year-old boy, you don't look, you don't look at 77-year-old men with multiple felonies. You don't look at him as a danger, as a threat to your life, as an existential, you know, uh, uh, a danger to who you are, right? That's still the, 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 the foundings of trying to create a mentality. Listen, so when, when there's a white criminal, what do they do? They try to find things in their past to make them, look, you know, 
Oh, he was a good boy growing up. Oh, he was a, right? But there's a black man who's in trouble, and he they're going to scrounge his past to find out his mugshot. They're going to find out what kind of family he came from because they're trying to create, they're always trying to create a narrative because of their trauma. There's a lack of acceptance of the brilliance and the beauty of black and brown people in this country, so I have to go with the trauma. The media is in it. Absolutely. That Barack Obama was the husband of one wife for 25 years, two beautiful daughters, Never had a scandal, right? But wear a tan suit. That was it. And they painted him like he was the Antichrist. Like he was going to come and take everybody to hell. He's going to give all the land and everything to black people. Because that's the way the media approached it. But now you have a different leader and you're trying to make it seem like he is, he fell from out of Jesus' lap. Was just convicted uh, and had to pay remu- uh, 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 for, for rape for those punitive damages, and yet you're trying to make him the Messiah. See, both both black and white people deal with founding trauma, but we deal, we, you know, but we have to a- apprehend it. It reflects or, or reveals itself differently in how we handle it. Absolutely. I think LeCapero is on to something. I do. I do. And until... Until we understand what that trauma is, we will never rise up and be the country of people that really appreciate black history and black contributions to society. Listen, this is yours truly, L. Spencer Smith, right here on the Culture Call Praise 93.3. We're having a great day. Go ahead and get you something to drink and keep it right here. Got much more to come. We are back. It's the top of the hour, 11 a.m. and some change right here on The Culture Call with yours truly, L. Spencer Smith. Uh-huh. Praise 93.3 FM, your inspiration station. And we have been having an amazing day already talking about black history. Yeah. A month of celebration, a lifetime of achievement. Yeah, we've been talking about that and we're going to continue to talk about that all month long, some kind of aspect of what's happening in black history, what is happening past, present, and future. We don't want our people to be late, last, what, or lost. We're going to keep you informed as best as we can and engage you in some kind of conversation and dialogue even as we go forward. Listen, got a few uh, community announcements here from uh, the senior citizens of West Ma- uh, Weeping Mary Baptist Church. Please join the senior season saints of Weeping Mary Baptist Church in the inaugural Senior Citizens Connect Day, and that's on Monday, February 19th, this year, 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. in the Weeping Mary Baptist Church Activity Building. It is on located on 2010 T.Y. Rogers Jr. Avenue, Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Uh, the city of Tuscaloosa and other areas, uh, uh, other area agency and organizations will be bringing information about available services, activities, and other resources. The event is open to all senior citizens and caregivers. The current participants include City of Tuscaloosa-led Hazard Abatement Program, Tuscaloosa Builds, EMS Prevention Services, Illegal Services of Alabama, Habitat for Humanity of Tuscaloosa, a bougie boogie, line dancing, and more. So you don't want to miss that on the 18th of the 19th of February. 
from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m., the seasoned saints of Weeping Mary Baptist Church invite you to their inaugural Senior Citizen Connect Day. You don't want to miss it. It's in the Weeping Mary Baptist Church Activity Building. One more time, 2010 T.Y. Rogers Jr. Avenue, Tuscaloosa, Alabama. If you are a senior citizen and you're like, hey, I don't have anything to do. I want to connect. I want to make sure that, you know, people know that I'm here. Uh, I want to, you know, I'm a widow, a widower. Hey, this is a good opportunity for you to get out of the house, you know, and and still breathe and still be active at the inaugural Season Saints of Weeping Mary, a Weeping Mary Baptist Church, their inaugural Senior Citizens Connect Day. They want to connect with you. Listen, on tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. at the Impact Nation Fellowship Church will be a food pantry day sponsored by uh, the Marriage Ministry of the Church and Tuscaloosa One Place at 9 a.m. If you do not have groceries, that's right, if you don't have food in your house or you want to get some more groceries, listen, they're going to be available at the church at 1110 26th Avenue uh, East uh, right there in the heart of Alberta City, across from Leland, or former Leland, Leland Bowling Lanes. Right, you can come and pick up your groceries. It begins at 9 a.m. I think they start distribution at 10, but it begins uh, gathering at 9 a.m. You don't want to miss it. Miss it. And then on Saturday morning, still at the Impact Nation, uh, you can come and be a part of the Family Wealth Symposium. That's right, Family Wealth Symposium. You know, one of the things I believe as the responsibility of the church is that if we're going to receive from the families in our communities, then we must be concerned about their wealth building and what we give back and how we help them build themselves up so that we can build schools, we can build community centers, we can build shelters and programming that will help even uh, those outside of our community. So we want to be a blessing to those in, in Tuscaloosa, especially in the Alberta east side of Tuscaloosa. You can come on Saturday morning for our FWS, Family Wealth Symposium. And this level, we have five, five uh, levels of wealth we're talking about. The first one is financial wealth. You don't want to miss that. We have uh, advisors uh, from Northwestern Mutual uh, insurance and finance, you don't want to miss that. Uh, so I'm telling you, you want to be a part of that. It is free, but you do have to register and you can register at www.theimpactnation.org backslash events. And there you'll find it there. Let us know how many people are coming. We've got such an amazing response, such amazing response. I'm telling you, if you want to know what to do for retirement, if you have some money, extra money, and you want to put it in a place that's uh, aggressive and, you know, to make sure that you can make some more money because, you know, sometimes putting it in the bank in a savings account and that the interest rates are not even, and they're talking about taking the interest rates down now anyway. Good for houses, good for purchasing, but not necessarily good for investments, right? But they're going to tell you how to navigate that, but you need to show up on Saturday morning from 10 to 12 at the Impact Nation Fellowship Church, definitely right there in the heart of Alberta cities. You don't want to miss that. Right. This is our community announcements. Remember, if you have any more community announcements, you can text me or not text me. You can email me at culturecall.praise at gmail.com. That's culturecall.praise at gmail.com. And as you can see, we'll read it on the air and let everybody know what's going on in your neck of the woods. Absolutely. Absolutely. Listen. So we ended this whole idea. Let's move further 
uh, in, in this Black History Month. And I just want to lay a foundation of, yes, appreciation and awareness that this is Black History Month. And uh, we're in a generation now that does not have the level of appreciation for this month uh, for being, you know, black, black people, black Americans in this country. And that's because, again, number one, that there is no talk of it in the home, right? There's no talk of it in the home because there's not a prime knowledge of it in the home. You know, I was born moving right out in the 70s, early 70s, uh, moving right out of the civil rights uh, movement. So a lot of the people who were still a part of the civil rights movement were still alive when I was born. So that was a, it was a staple in terms of conversational diet in our homes. My mother and father would always tell us about these things, what they went through in college, trying to vote X, Y, Z, and why it was important to celebrate uh, Black History Month. Uh, you know, our schools at the time, um, they would change, the walls changed all of the, every classroom. You would walk down the hall and you would see Jan Matslinger, you know, the, the, the shoe, the guy that did shoe repair, you would hear about, you know, again, Benjamin Banneker. You would hear about all of the greats, not just Martin Luther King, Rosa Parks, and Malcolm X, but you would hear about all of the people. Uh, Harriet Tubman, you would see Bahia Jackson, uh, Mary McLeod Bethune. You would see all those just up and down the halls. And, and the teacher would take out a specific time to talk about the influences and what happened in this country because of those people, right? And I think it was I I intriguing. Um, as 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 I was a young boy hearing about that, but but what was most important, I heard about it in my home, that we had just the regular encyclopedia, uh, encyclopedias, but we also had uh, African American Black History encyclopedias, right? So we had all those encyclopedias in our homes, and you know you know we we were encouraged to pick it up and read about certain people, right? Fannie Lou Hamer, you you know you, you you know I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired, you know, because <laughs> my mom would say I'm just sick and tired of being sick and tired. And then she said, y'all know where that comes from, and then she would kind of tell us all of that, right? And so we had the, the encyclopedias to look it up, you know, look up Fannie Lou Hamer and all those those people who were centrally significant, um, and I, I, Ida B. Wells and you know all Phyllis Wheatley and Sojourner Truth and I'm, I mean. I, I, the list goes on and on. But today, today in modern times, we don't, I don't, we don't have that, that kind of access into homes anymore. We don't have that kind of information and education. And it needs to be. And that's not to get us trapped in the past. Right? That's not, get us, that's not to relive the struggle because we could never. We could never. Relive the struggle, even 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 though there are some in this country that were of the families of the uh, of oppressors that are still alive, that still believe in little towns and little cities in Alabama, Mississippi, Georgia, Louisiana, they're still doing that. South Carolina, where I'm from, Florida, you know, they're still because because somebody's got to be voting for this stuff, you know, somebody. That they, that, you know, these Congress people represent people who really believe that this is the, the they, they want this America, quote unquote, to be great again. They would love to take us back there. 
And the danger is, is when you don't know what it costs to be even where you are, anybody can make you yoke up with them. And the next thing you know, the next thing you know, that you're a black man on the stage trying to champion for someone who is oppressive, who is racist, who is bigoted, all the proven, documented, you know, that, 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 that's what happens. Because when you, you, when you don't have that, you'll find comfort and convenience and solidarity with white adjacency because you've forgotten. Not, not, and let me say this, not that, you know, uh, white people cannot be trusted, not that Caucasian people cannot be trusted because that's not true. That all black folks can't be trusted. Zora Neale Hurston said, all my skin folk ain't my kin folk. So there's some black folks you can't trust. Shame at somebody. That's the truth. But the reality is, the reality is, is that you need to be aware of all of that which is going on and that has happened in our country and how we got this far. And why? Because then that'll let you know who's trying to turn the clock back and not to align with those people. See, there's always going to be somebody that thinks, one of us, that thinks that history doesn't apply to them. And we see it all over the place. That history doesn't apply to, to them. And, you know, I, I get it. I get it. You know, I was on Twitter the other day and somebody's like, man, y'all always got to talk about race. I'm sick of these race baiters. Right? And so I responded, well, well, the reason why I guess there's race baiters, because y'all racists keep biting the bait. <laughs> if the fish wasn't biting the earthworm, they, there would be no earthworm farms. You, you see? The only reason why the bait is provided is because folks, you, you, folks are still that way. So there's no, you know, nobody's trying to make anybody hate when I tell history. And that is the problem. People don't know how to intelligently educationally and academically engage history properly, you know? And, and, but just because you don't like history, you know, doesn't mean that, you know, hey, guess what? Then let's just take it out. Let's ignore it. That's not what that means. That means that, that, that that's where we start having a conversation. Why don't you like history? Why don't you like them talking about where they come from? You see what I'm saying? It's important. It's very, very important that we do that. And so if, if you've not done that yet, if you've not done that understanding, if you've not created that kind of sense in your mind, you ought to take your children to the library. Get some books and say, hey, you know, they've got, they have books on every level. But there's got to be an appreciation there's got to be an appreciation for who you, for who they are. They, you have to show them. You know, um, there was a, you know, episode on a different world that just came, not, you know, because they're doing reruns. Of course, you know, a different world. It feels like it's still modern, but it's, that, was, that was in the 80s, early 90s, right? <laughs> and Whitley was a, Whitley, y'all know, Whitley Gilbert slash Wayne, hyphen Wayne. <laughs> she was in the classroom. She was teaching. And she said, where do, where do our people come from? And the kids said, slavery. Because in, the, in their minds, that's what they've been told. Slavery, you know, all these things. And one little black boy said, no, we come from Africa with, a, uh, with you know, where our, fa where our people were 
uh, kings and queens. And she began to show them African history and connect them and all of those different kinds of things. And their eyes are like, wow, enlightened. You will be surprised of the identity change of our youth if we really, really invested and taught them black history. If we took time to say, hey, do you know XYZ? Do you know who this person, do you know who Crispus Attucks was? Right? Do you know who Nat Turner was? Right? You, when, you, when you begin to ask these particular questions, right? When you begin to, you know, stir up their mind to say, okay, what, what was significant about this person? What is significant about you being black? Right? If you have to ask the question. You have to create the conversation. That's what I miss. That's what I miss. You know, you have to create the conversation in order for them to, for the lights to turn on. Don't allow our children to walk in the dark of a conversation we cannot have. You see? Do you know who Charles Drew was? Do you know, do you know how, why he was significant? Ask the, ask the question. Do you know who Sojourner Truth was? Do you know who Jarena Lee was? Right? That's important. And if we do not give them that kind of context as the adults, don't ex I'm telling you right now, do not expect the schools to do that. <laughs> right? Jarena Lee, especially in the time in which we live, she was the first African-American woman uh, that was licensed to preach in the AME church. Yeah, she was. Right? So all, all of that is important. That I think that if, we go, if we're going to talk about black history, we also have to talk about black liberation and what it cost. We've got to talk about that. We've got to give our children an understanding when we say, ooh, we come from a mighty long way. Take some time to talk about that mighty long way. Huh? You got to take some time to talk about the way that we came. That's important. That there's a man that's named Rob, uh, Albert Rabito. Albert Rabito. He's an a, a African-American writer, but he wrote about this, this, this institution chronicling the invisible institution called the black church and how the black church started in brush harbors, right? The penalty, he, he starts talking about the penalty that they would face if they were just going to worship outside of the presence of an overseer to make sure that they were not reading the text from Exodus. They were not reading the Bible that talks about freedom and liberation, Right? that I think it is antithetical to the origin of the black church in this country, to the history of the black church in this country that was founded talking about liberation and a future of freedom and then turns around and exact penalties of disenfranchisement and enslavement against women. Exactly. That, 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 that we become the new slave masters. Absolutely. Talk, tell them about the lost friend concept. What was the lost friend concept? You know that when they, when when, when our people were enslaved, enslaved, uh, they separated families, separated you know relatives, 
And after slavery was over, they divided this whole idea of the uh, lost friends concept, the Freedmen's Bureau, where they sent out letters, put them in newspapers to find and connect relatives again. Some relatives were in Alabama and they had been shipped to Texas. The rest of their family would have been in Texas, right? But those things, you have to tell them about that. You had to tell them about that. There were two worlds for the slaves. One that they could participate in. They could participate in the world of, of you know, of just being in the field around their family. They could participate in that. But there's another world that they had to deal with. That was one world. But the other world was when they were working in the fields and they were working in the, in the, in the plantation houses, in the antebellum homes. And they had to be seen. I mean, they had to be, uh, they could be seen and not heard. They had to go back doors and, be, you know, they couldn't even be seen. They were cooking, they would serve, and then they would get out of the way. They would go back there. There was a whole world conversation that they, you know, they heard, but they couldn't, they couldn't even participate in. And they had to live like that. Absolutely. That's important for our children to know. They even say, oh, Reverend, why we got to tell them that? I'm going to tell you right now that if we don't begin to discuss the truth about who we are, what are we ashamed of? We cannot forget. We cannot forget about, you know, the rock from whence we have been hewn. We cannot forget that. We can't forget the mighty long way. Why, Reverend? Why we can't forget? I'll tell you why. Because we are currently living in a country that wants to remove that from the mindset, from the view. And there's, you got to think about it. And there are people that's electing folks and putting them into position just to do that. So it hadn't gone away. There are people that are still standing up for the causes of their, 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 the causes of their foreparents. They will, if they could, they would love to have been inherited some slaves so they wouldn't have to work. Absolutely. So that's why we talk about it. That's why we say it. That's why we have to bring it to their remembrance. Remembrance. I mean, right now, they're sending people to, to, to be senators and congressmen. They're electing people to be governors and mayors that are saying, let's remove this out. Of, let's remove this from the site. We don't want anybody to see this about our great country. We want everybody to know that we are exceptional. Okay. All right. You see what I'm saying? And our children just running, running, running track and playing football, playing basketball, and you know, making X Y Z dollars, X Y all this, yeah, and have no clue about where that comes from. Have no clue about you can always go to the University of Alabama. Have no clue that you can always go to Auburn. Have no clue that one of the most dastardly. Uh, and diabolical statements of the civil rights movement and segregation was made right on the steps, the campus of 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 University of Alabama from the, uh, George Wallace. Segregation today, segregation tomorrow, segregation forever, right up the street. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah University of Alabama is not just Crimson Tide. It's, I mean, it's not just Nick Saban. It's not just championships. There's a history there. 
then that's not to say, hear me, that's not to say that there's something wrong with the university. No, that's the understanding of history. That's a part of this mighty long way we have come. That's another aspect of seeing that what was set against us did not work. You see, so we have to have that conversation with them. But who's rising up to say that, though? Now, nah, Smith, you ought, you, ought to, you, ought to, you ought not say that. You ought not say, listen, I'm, I, I am duty-bound to tell the truth. I am, <laughs> am duty-bound to tell the truth. And it's not, it is not, you know, my goodness. It is not, you know, my job to make others feel good about a history that is not true. No, this is what happens, and this is what, and our children, I made sure my children know it, knows it. You know, all of them went to HBCU, so I know that they, they, they even got engulfed into that. That's something that my wife and I, we, that, that, that's, that's what our life was. That's what our family is. Because I never want them to forget. And I want to encourage them, my children, to tell their children when they grow up. That's not holding penalty against any race. That's, that's, not, that's, the, that's not to say we don't love America. That's not what that says. I'm not going to let your fear and insecurity define the, the, the notion of what I think. My posits and my perspectives. No, but here is my history. I've got to know what our history is to make it better, to make sure that we don't return there. You know? In 1952, an author named Ralph Ellison, a black man, wrote a book called The Invisible Man. And you know what that invisible man was about? You know, we talk about the invisible man. You see it on cartoons and comic books and all that. You know what the original intention of that was? Well, it was talking about the notion of black invisibility, that nobody really saw the presence of black men, black people in this country. So Ralph, uh, Ralph Ellison wrote this book about you could be in places and it would be like you're not even there, right? That you could go and sit down to be, to be waited on and they pass all around you. That you'd be in a, a, a store counter and that person would go to, the, go to the next person who's white and just forgot that you were standing there. And either you would stand up for yourself or that white person would say, well, excuse me, this guy, this lady was here before me. You didn't serve them, right? See, that, that's, that, that, you, you have to know that. You have to know that. There's this whole issue in 1961, James Baldwin, again, African-American writer, uh, wrote about this book called Nobody Knows My Name, right? And what does that mean? He, he wrote that because a lot of times people didn't know the black person's name, a boy. That wasn't just demeaning. They just didn't know our names. They didn't know, they didn't know what to call us. After we got out of slavery, hey, girl, right? They didn't know what to call us. It was like black namelessness. You see, he wrote that entire book about that. And they need to know that. And so when you see Michael, Michael Evans on Good Times, <laughs> Every time somebody would use boy, he would say boy is a white racist word. He's pointing back to what Baldwin was saying. No, know me enough to know my name. 
Give me the respect. If I've got to call you Mr. This, call me Mr. This. Call me Mr. Smith. No, you know, see me as human enough to know that my mother and father loved me enough to give me a name. To give me a name. And even now, and even now, uh, there, there are, are people in, in our community, even now, there are people who have dropped, dropped the names, uh, their surname, Smith, Johnson, XYZ. I haven't, but there are many people there. All is, you know, they said, and they go by X. They go by X because our last names, our surnames that give us identity in the earth, that gives us pedigree and genealogy where we could trace, were, 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 were marked. They were, were unknown, was taken away from us. Right? But what are you saying, Bishop? Glad that you asked. Our children need to know this. Need to have that conversation. Because they're living in a world that only sees them for what they can do from a gifted perspective, but not who they are. And you say, well, that doesn't matter anymore. We already fought that war. Wake up, y'all. The, that, that kind of warfare is still going on in this country. And thus we must know our history. And thus we must celebrate it. And thus we must have a Black History Month that we acknowledge these things. We have to do it. We have to do it. We cannot, we cannot, uh, how, how, how to say, we cannot ignore that. Williams Wells Brown. Williams Wells Brown. He said this, history has thrown the colored man out. And that's what it's doing now. They're trying to throw us out of the history books. Right? And 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 you know, they'll 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 elevate Washington, George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Benjamin Franklin, but will not tell you that they were slave owners. Right? That Jefferson has Sally Hemings and the young girl. Yeah, they won't. They don't want to talk about that. So, th- to them, American history can't be American history if you add the black man, because the black man is a part of the founding trauma of this country, of the notion, the consciousness of this country. So, hey, you we got to understand that we got to un- culture call. We have to understand this. That's why this is called the culture call. This is why I called it that. This is why we named the show that. Because I want you to understand we are shapers and significant in the culture. And to forget that means to forget who we are. Absolutely. Absolutely. Listen, go ahead and get you something to drink. Give me a call, 205-752-4800. Hit me up on the chat. Let me know what you think. Keep it right here. There's more to come. This is a world we are back. This is the Culture Call with your Shirley Elspeth Smith right here on Praise 93.3, your inspiration station. And we have been having an informative day, a kickoff. That's right. A kickoff to Black History Month. That's right. February 1st. And I'm telling you, it's been an amazing conversation. It's been an amazing conversation. I'll just keep it right there. There's so much. I, I am so into history and especially black history. It's just etched in my bones. And so, you know, one of the things I want to do in our community is to make sure that it stays alive. It is ingrained into me, you know, epigenetically. (laughs) My parents, my grandparents, it's just in me uh, to be able to to navigate the all-black systems, uh, the predominantly black schooling that I had, 
you know, growing up in that particular level of understanding and what it really means to be a black man in this country um, has afforded me the opportunity to view life in a different perspective. And my prayer is, is that we don't lose that something that we have acquired, that we don't lose that, that sense of nature and nurture for each other because we become so disconnected from community. Let me just kind of, you know, navigate and see if we can find the runway today. Just talking about the necessity of black community and the history around that. That truthfully, that there would be no survival for black people in this country without the profound level of community. And not only just black homes, uh, but uh, the black church. You know, Dr. Samuel DeWitt Proctor uh, said that there are three things that formulate a, a, a strong black society. And he said, first of all, it's, a, it's the black family. It's the strength of that black, uh, that black family, the black community, you know, from both a, a, a nuclear and extended sense that we have to be there for each other. That's how we made it. We fed each other, we clothed each other, we came to each other's celebrations and each other's sorrows. So it takes a profound sense of worth. Black communities were built. It was the, it was the safe place, the, the, the harbor, the city of refuge, if you will, for our families. And that was one of the things he says that we cannot get away from. He, we cannot get away from the black family and the black community. Cannot. The second thing he said that was essential to black families or the black community uh, was, or the black essence in America, let me say that, was also the black church. The black church that we found that the, the church was not just our place to find spiritual or divine information, but it was also the community center. It was the epicenter of political activity. It was, it was where we were, were, we taught our ways and our means. It was, where we found our esteem, where we heard the songs and, and met the characters of, of our community who were doing great things, who were, uh, you know, forceful, if I can say that to use for the lack of a better word, but that were encouraging and exhorted us to be better than we could be. It was the Sunday school. It was the, uh, you know, the, 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 uh, the, the Bible unions. It was the youth Bible unions. It was all of those things. YP, WW, you know, uh, all of those things that we had growing up. It was the church picnics. It was singing in the choir, being on the junior usher board. It was listening to, to the preacher preach, you know, uh, rousing sermons. Yeah, it was all of that. It was, it, was, it was that necessity that was a part of the black church that we cannot throw away. Cannot. Let me say it again. The black church cannot be thrown away. Not definitely, not in this season. There's some things that we could do differently. Some things that we borrowed from other cultures that seemingly does not line up, you know, uh, you know, from the sense of our own epistemology, the sense of our own being. Uh, this, 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 it doesn't really teach, you know, as it should, our, uh, our, the sense of our worth and origin, you know. Uh, of our beginnings, but but we need the black church in our community because it is still a hub. It's still a hub where we can learn. So you have the black family and you have the black church. And then here's the next thing he said, education. 
education, which has changed. You know, he was a proponent of integration because not just integrate, because it caused us to integrate into society, right? I, he didn't see it on the other hand that integration was was learned or was taught to teach us the culture of the majority. He saw black schooling and integration as a sense of us being able to show forth our the same worth and value as an issue of justice and equity. That if you went to school, if they saw us to and and you know if they went to school with us and if they saw us achieve like on the level that they achieved then they would give they would see us not give us but see us with a sense of being but education bar integration the access to knowledge the neck, the access to insight you know uh the the access to scholastic achievement the place where community was extended in a different um a a different level of 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 movement a different level of achievement you know those a's and b's meant something those blue ribbons those you know working on our our skills of speaking of thinking right that dr proctor figured thought that that was you know that and i agree with him that those three those three triplets the black family the black church and and education are the things that cause us to understand who we are in this country that there will never be anything lost of, you know, because we cannot go back to, you know, 1619. We can't go back and change what happened in the 1800s. We cannot go back and wipe out, you know, our participation of enslavement in this country. We cannot, we cannot you know, go back and wipe out the lynchings and all of those things that happened to us that had a deleterious effect on our community. We can't go back and wipe that out. But we can use those as pinpoints and, and, and ways of pavement to help us understand why it is imperative, absolutely imperative, for us to continue achieving, right? From the, the, the care and the nurture of our families to, you know, the pangeric preacher on a Sunday, you know, with high and exciting and emotional sermons. We can't lose that. We cannot lose that. Lifting his voice to elevate, not just in a theatrical sense, but lift and elevate the people who are listening to, that who are listening to him, to bring them up, to let them know that you have a space and a place in this world. And then the black teachers, the teachers who give us access to information, to imagination to allow us to envision a betterness in our community, if I can say it like that. That when you have those together, it creates the foundation, culture call, of really understanding our history, again, from every dimension of time, past, present, and future. Every year was, is a big year in our church at the Impact Nation. Every year. Every year. You know, my mother started when she first came here, moved here from South Carolina to uh, Alabama. And she came. One of the things she said was, I want to do Black History Month. We need to do it. And every year that was a highlight because we knew she would always lead out in the month, 
and give us a whole caption and an idea of what that month was going to be about, what subject matter, who she was going to be focusing on. And um, I still have the pictures from her last, uh, uh, her last uh, Black History Month. She was adorned in, in her African attire, and she was like our, our church grill. But she would connect us in such a significant way and engage the young people, every aspect of the church, with our black history. And we never left there feeling like we had to hate anybody because it's not history if it's hating. If your history makes you hate, it could give you concern. It could make you look like, whoo, we've come a mighty long way. But it was never something that uh, eked out such an offense that, number one, we didn't want to hear it anymore. Number two, that we looked at our brothers and our sisters of different uh, races, you know, because we understood that racial societal construct is nothing that God said, but it never gave us that aspect that we, we would now take our torches and reverse burn crosses in their yard. That was never the issue. But it would give us a sense of understanding and a sense of pride, a sense of knowing who we are as black people. From the skits to the plays to the, the recitations to the songs, the old songs she would sing, she would make us understand, hey, we have history. And so this February, it's big for us. This Every February in our church is big for us. And my thing is, the reason why I'm saying that is that I hope it's big in every church. Yeah, that's right. I hope it's big in every black church and white church. I hope it's big. I hope, it, I hope there's a spot in the space. We have our official celebration on the last Sunday of the month where we come and, un, and come and take the notion and really get us to understand, yes, we have a brilliant history. Yeah, God of our weary years, God of our silent tears, God who has brought us thus far on our way. Yeah, that lift every voice and sing. Absolutely. That there are some people that hear that song in this country even now and think that's a song of division. I think it's going to be sung at the Super Bowl the first time this year, I believe. It's going to be sung, lift every voice and sing that you don't mind black players playing, but you can't stand black players being acknowledged in that, in that hymn. There are people right now that's, you know, and I, keep, I say that, and this is one of the things that, you know, my mother would always tell us is that just because we made advances, please don't think that there is not people that wished that your existence was not in this country. That when they can't control you, then they'll say, go back to where you come from. Well, give me the money to go back. You take me back. Don't tell me go back because I didn't come back. I didn't come back with my own volition. This is not a cruise. I didn't get on a carnival cruise or a Royal Caribbean cruise and came over here. Our forefathers did not do that. No, they were enslaved. They were bound. Many of them died on the way here. And so when, when there's an ilk of the country that can't control you, then they'll say, well, go back to where you came from. Well, then you go back to where you came from. That part. You see? That's not what black... Black history is not designed to create hatred, angst, or violence. It is designed to call, cause black people to recollect that you have deep roots, that you have a fingerprint, your family, your presence, your gifting has a fingerprint in this country that it would not be what it is today without black people who worked the cotton fields, the sugar cane fields, the rice fields, who 
made indigo. That this country was built off of the, the Southern, especially in the South, was built off of a free labor of slaves. That's what black history does. And ever since slavery, the, you know, the South, the South has not been the economic bastion that it was in the early Americas. They could only be because they had free slavery. They had free labor. Right? That doesn't make, I'm glad to be a Southerner. I, you know, I've got cousins and friends up North. I'm like, yo, y'all can keep this. I, I love being in the South. I love the culture. I love the cooking. I love the feeling. I love being from South Carolina. I love the, the low country of the South Carolina where, where most of the, the, the beginning of slavery, you know, in, in, in South Carolina started in Charleston in Savannah, Georgia, and all those, the, the sea islands. I love the Gullah. I love the way we talk. I love the way we move. I love the festivals that we have commemorating it every year. I love it because I'm connected to that. I see myself in that historical connection. And what we need to do, Culture Call, is to connect ourselves back to our history so that we will know that we are not just here trying to muddle way our way through. We're not just here trying to make it through Trump. We're not just here trying to make it through laws of disenfranchisement and suppression that still goes on in 2024. But we are here by divine design. There would not be in America if there were not black people. Check it out. That's the facts. That's the history of this country. And we've got a lot to be proud of, to be grateful for, but to be proud of. So we can all collectively say, like the late, great James Brown, say it loud, I'm back and I'm proud. This is the Culture Call. This is a world premiere. Well, Culture Call, it's my time to land the plane. That's right. It's been a wonderful show today right here. I'm telling you on Praise 93.3, your inspiration station as we kick off celebrating that's right black history month and it's going to be a month indeed listen let me remind you that we are a great people that we have a history in this country that needs to be taken notice of we need to teach it to our children you know one of the things as i read the scripture uh, that i'm always fascinated about by when i'm studying hebrew history um, is that God really gives them the understanding that not only were they to learn it, but they were to also build altars that they would have and they would arrange it so that when the children would come and say, hey, what's these stones about? We'll be able to look at them and say, hey, this is how the Lord has brought us over. This is how God led us out. This is how God kept us. This is what happened here. This is what happened there. And I think it is essentially imperative for us to kind of pick up that notion in the black community that we build altars. Yeah. That we build altars indeed that we remind our children and, and say, Hey, here's what God did here. Here's what happened in our history. Here's how we got here. And here's your responsibility in making sure that we don't let it go, that we cannot go backwards and going backwards has nothing to do with just, you know, uh, of what we can do, march, marching in the street. No, you have to live. You can't protest your way forward. That's This is a different generation. Now, you have to be the example and the epitome of what we protested and marched for. 
So yes, you have to take advantage of education because there was a time when we could not write or read. And yes, you have to make your voice heard in voting because there was a time when we were not even seen as humans to be able to vote. There were poll taxes and obstructions not too far from us at the Edmund Pettus Bridge. Bloody Sunday was over that. See, yeah, that you may not ever have to pay that price tag, may never have to pay it, but you ought to at least wear what we bought. You ought to at least take care of what we bought. You may never have to go down the streets and you may never see any of what Billie Holiday says hanging from trees, strange fruit. You may never see that. But you ought to live your life in a way so that this present culture, present society, present iteration of legal law enforcement does not see you as a threat to where they feel like your life means nothing but to be in jail. So this is the importance of black history. It's a handover. It's an altar that we need to Every now and then, kneel our children down and tell them how we got over. Yeah, how we got over. My soul looked back and wonder how I got over. Listen, my grandma, my mama used to say at the end of every phone call, I love your bush, I love your peck, and I love your hug around the neck. This is the culture call, yours truly, Elspeth Smith, right here. Praise 93.3. Be good. Be at peace. Have a good day and love on somebody intentionally. Talk to you tomorrow.